Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. We see the syphilitic shrinking obelisk. The white man's wilting dick. The smiling lie of the televised Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 70. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. Attention comic book fans, Lee's Comics of Mountain View, California has closed. But here's the good news. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale for half off. Choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar, scroll down to Sellers, and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S. INC period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Here are some recent comments about this podcast, and I really appreciate the kind words. Tom on YouTube says, Amazing content. You deserve more subscribers. I agree. I usually push subscribing to YouTube or Automatic when I upload or at the end of this show. But uh, on YouTube, I currently have a little over 100 subscribers, and YouTube starts paying creators once they reach the 1,000 subscriber mark. So, do me a favor, tell your friends about the Fun Ideas Podcast, and get, get them to subscribe too. It's just a click of a button on my YouTube page. Also, I'd appreciate it if you became a Patreon of me. It does cost some money, mainly for storage space, to do this show, so if I could get at least $100 a month from outside sources, that will help defray some of the costs in doing it. Of course, you can advertise like Lee's Comics does. Rates are low, and they run for the entire season. Contact me at funideas.mark at gmail.com if interested. As far as Fun Ideas Productions is concerned, I'm doing well during the pandemic, and I'm working on the Mad Book, and on the new Disney Book, and four articles for Back Issue Magazine. Headquartered the book about the monkey solo years that I wrote with uh, Michael A. Ventrella is my latest book, and look for the Warren Kramer book and the TTV scrapbook soon. Of course, I'm continuing this podcast during the summer for now, so I will be doing that as well. 
Our guest today is a world-renowned caricaturist, with his work appearing in comic books such as Married with Children, then later in Cracked Magazine, and then, for the past 20 years, in Mad Magazine. Here he is, Tom Richmond. Okay, on the phone today I have Tom Richmond. How are you today? I'm great, Mark. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you very much. I uh, always like to start off with just a general question. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became an artist for uh, or a caricaturist, whatever you prefer. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I started out uh, doing caricatures as a summer job while I was going to college uh, when I was going to art school in Minnesota. And I got a job doing... Um, characters at a theme park it was a uh, summer gig for the whole time I was going through college and uh, kind of discovered that caricature was something I kind of had a knack for was something I really enjoyed and um, ended up becoming a, a main focus on you know what I eventually went to do published work and and uh, uh, freelancing caricature was a big part of that mm-hmm. did you have in in your classes any training to do that or is it just something that you just have the knack for uh no i never i i got <laughs> zero training in cartooning or caricature in college oh, okay. uh the, the schools i went to had no programs that had any cartooning hmm. uh which was you know good and bad because it was bad because i never got to you know, learn how to ink from anybody that knew what they were doing, uh, or anything like that. But I, I did learn traditional art techniques and, you know, good drawing and realistic type work. And I think, uh, that helped form my style of cartooning, which I did on my own. I learned a lot about caricature at the, at that job. Mm-hmm. And I work, work with artists that have been doing caricatures for decades and, uh, people that, you know, were t-shirt, average t-shirt artists also actually, uh, and caricature artists. And, um, so I was exposed to a lot of people's styles and different kinds of art that they did as well. And, um, it was, you know, it was a kind of a secondary education there, but college was, was my realistic painting and drawing and my summer job was cartooning. Right. Um, now, I, I read, I think it was a bio on your website, uh, it, it said it was Six Flags, Great America, and Illinois. Um, I was just curious, if did you do anything else there, or is art just the first love and the only thing you did when working at the theme park? Yeah, just just the caricatures. Okay, like, <laughs> I was just know, curious. I never, I never made cotton candy or, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, rent, rent, press any of the buttons for the roller coasters to go. Right. Uh, we, it, it, it was it was an interesting job because I I wasn't actually working for the theme park. Uh, the company that I worked for was um, a contractor there, hmm. so they I I worked for them and they had a contract for the park. So. Um, we weren't technically employees of the theme park. We mm. had to follow all their rules and everything, but um, we were sort of our own little entity. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I'm still real good friends with some of those. That My first summer was 1985, mm-hmm. and I'm still good friends with a lot of the people that I uh, worked with that summer, including a guy named Doug Mankey, who uh, was an Airbrush T-shirt artist that first year as well, and uh, he's now a big name comic book artist mm-hmm. for DC and does everything for him. And 
he's quite uh, quite well known. But um, yeah, so <laughs> it's pretty pretty interesting job. Yeah. How many years did you do that? About two or maybe less? I did it four four years oh. for that. Uh, at that time, uh, all the way through my college years, then when I graduated from school, I got a job. Um, I was offered a management position with that same company, and they moved me and my uh, new my new bride <laughs> down to Atlanta. Hmm. And we lived in Atlanta for two summers, and uh, he opened up uh, this company called Foz and Arts. Opened uh, I think a caricature concession at. Six Flags in Atlanta, and mm. I ran it, and trained all the artists, and did all that stuff for two years, and then uh, uh, we got homesick, <laughs> so we came running back to Minnesota, and uh, and then I, at that time, I opened my own theme park operations um, and and retail type operations, and um, I did it probably full time for, I mean, every summer anyway, twenty years maybe. Oh wow, okay. Yeah, I mean, I was still. <laughs> I was still doing live theme park caricatures during the summers uh, when I started with Mad. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I never knew because, you know, when I called you or talked to you before, it was mainly just for my cracked book. And obviously right. at that point you were already at Mad, so we talked about Mad, but I didn't really go any deeper because I didn't really need it for the purposes of the book. <laughs> but sure. uh, on these podcasts, I always try to find out, like, you know, other details about your career and things like that if it's important or interesting or both or whatever <laughs> yeah. yeah i still have live caricature operations here in minnesota there there was a time when i had uh seven operations in four different states wow <laughs> yeah i probably had a hundred artists maybe working with me hmm. every summer but that that business has kind of gone uh downhill hmm. uh over the last decade or two um the theme parks, the regional type theme parks like the Six Flags parks that aren't, you know, Disney or Universal in places like Florida or California, they've been catering to local people for uh, years and season pass holders and things. And now the, the clientele that go to those parks are not only are the numbers down a lot, but they are nothing but local people that have season passes and go there, hmm. uh, you know, 10 times a summer they don't buy souvenirs right. like caricatures so uh that business is not what it used to be that's for sure but i still have a seasonal park here in minnesota called valley fair been there since 1991 mm -hmm. and uh i do them at uh at the uh, nickelodeon universe park in the mall of america we've got a couple booths there and i probably during the summer i have about a dozen artists that work with us and and I, I sometimes pop out there myself and do it. So wow. <laughs> still, still kind of, still kind of in my part of my world, but not not quite as big a focus as it was back in the early '90s. Right. Um, well, we'll touch on some other things, but you seem to be a pretty busy guy. You know, I just thought you know you're only mad, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I could touch on it now. It's like uh, I didn't know you're president of the National Cartoonist Society. Are you still? No, I, oh. I did two terms for, oh. uh, with them, and 2015 was the year that I ran my last Rubin Awards and then stepped down. Oh, okay. Bill Morrison, Bill Morrison became uh, president after I left, and he was president for four years. And um, so, yeah, I was president for four, uh, two term, two two year terms, and I ran four Rubens, and mm -hmm. it was quite a uh, quite an undertaking. 
that was. But the Cartoon Society was a big part. It has been a big help for me in my career. And uh, I felt like, you know, I wanted to give back. And um, so it's, it's a tough job because, you know, it's a lot of time and, and energy, but uh, funny, no pay. <laughs> so I'll volunteer. Well, what do, you, what do you do exactly other than have the title? I mean, I really don't know. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, you have to oversee the whole organization, but probably the biggest task is putting on the Rubin Awards, the, okay. you know, the weekend of uh, uh, the awards and the convention sort of thing that they do every year. And so you put, you got to find a hotel and negotiate all that and then, um, you know, get speakers and, uh, you know, come up with uh, sponsorship. And it's quite an undertaking. Mm-hmm. And uh, didn't you win the Rubin yourself, like, in 2011 or something like that? I did. In fact, I won it the first year I was president. Um, I wasn't It's rigged. Nominated. It's rigged. Yeah, I know. We were, we were, uh, it was funny because uh, I became president and I hadn't been nominated before, but um, when I became president, the previous president, Jeff Keene, said... Um, we may have a situation where a sitting president is going to be nominated for the Rubin Award. <laughs> and I'm like, you're kidding. And he goes, no, you, you, yeah, of course, I wasn't privy to the numbers before I became president. And he said, you're, you're, you've been very close to being nominated every year for the last several years, and you're probably going to get it pretty soon here. <laughs> and then, sure enough, I got it. I got nominated, and I thought, well, I'll never win. Like, most of the time, you get nominated for this thing like 20 times before you right. really win it, you know. <laughs> but I won it the first year I was nominated, which was quite a surprise. And those and the, the people, the other past presidents and stuff had to step in and, and handle the Rubin uh, nominations and, and awards part of it, at least for the Rubin, because they said, you're not, you don't get to know if you won or not. <laughs> so, I was the only president in the history of the, of the organization that had no idea who won the Rubin Award until it was announced at the, at the um, dinner. Wow. I, I didn't know it was such a, what's the word? I don't know, you know, operation similar to like the Oscars, you know, I didn't know, you know, it was like you can't know ahead of time or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, it's been around for a long time and some of the winners are, you know, guys like Charles Schultz and Milton Kniff and Rube Goldberg and Will Eisner. I mean, this pretty heady company. Mm -hmm. So it was, yeah, it was awesome and uh, very humbling to have that. But, uh, it's all been downhill since then. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, in looking at your stuff, um, one thing I didn't know, and I was reading these, I guess I didn't know your name then, uh, when you got started uh, in the comic book field, as it were, um, uh, you started with Married with Children comics for Now Comics? Yeah, it was like my first published job well sort of i had done a couple of little freelance things here and there before that but mm -hmm. it, yeah it was really my first uh pub, well certainly my first comic book work but um yeah and that was in 91 mm -hmm. i think yeah so it was right after i got out of college i in fact i got i started drawing that when i after i moved to atlanta mm -hmm. for that uh, caricature uh, gig down there so i guess it would have been 89 and um, yeah, I did 
22 issues of that comic, I think, for yeah. that. Uh, I think oh. <laughs> I remember now looking back on it because I don't have them accessible right at the moment, so I can't pull them out. But mm-hmm. I, I go, you know, I, I, t- I know I liked your artwork, but I didn't really pay I didn't pay attention to credits so much maybe back then, so that's what it was. <laughs> and, but there was a surprise. I go, oh, that's probably why I like those comics, even though I did like the TV show anyway and stuff like that. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, looking back at that stuff, and of course, you know, as an artist, you you're hopefully you continuously progress in your skill set but uh i can't believe i got that job i can't <laughs> believe that uh that they paid me to do that horrible art because <laughs> it was pretty bad i was like 19 years old and mm-hmm. i didn't really have well i guess i would have been in my early 20s but uh i just i look back at it now and go oh my god and it's just terrible <laughs> Um, were you hired on that because you were a caricaturist, or you just happened to be in the right place at the right time? Well, a little bit of both. Uh, the, the the comic book itself was uh, licensed, you know, so it was right. officially licensed adaptation of Married with Children. Um, and they wanted, they had more of a cartoony uh, approach almost an animated sort of look to the first few issues. I started with issue number six of the first run, mm-hmm. and um, uh, the previous artists now comics had a lot of problems. Like they weren't very good at paying people, <laughs> and uh, their books were continuously late, and um, they did not have a good reputation in the comic book industry. So the original uh, artist on that, and boy, his name is escaping me right now. Um, he quit. Like He's like, I'm not doing any more work until you pay me. Well, then they started going out to find other people <laughs> that uh, maybe wouldn't be so worried about getting paid. So, <laughs> you know, of course, I didn't know that at the time. I just saw an ad in CBG for, that uh, Now Comics had put out saying that they were looking for artists for some of their titles, and... Um, I sent in, I did a little little mini story that I wrote uh, with caricatures of the Bundys running around in their house. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I got the job as penciler, and a lot of people got stiffed by now comics, but mm-hmm. I, uh, I worked for them for a long time, and I only there were only six pages of penciled work that I didn't get paid for, and that, and that was for an issue that never got published. Oh. So I sort of escaped uh, less less uh, burned than some other people did. Hmm. But I think I got the job because one, they did want somebody that could get you know halfway decent likenesses of the of the actors, and also uh, it was a time when there were a lot of comics titles out there and a lot of work to go around and not as many artists capable of doing it and and now I had a bad reputation and I was like you know I was paying my bills with the, the theme park biz so I wasn't too worried about making sure that I was getting steady paychecks I could I could afford to wait you know yeah. for a month or two to get paid if I had to I just wanted to get some work out there <laughs> so you know it was sort of a conf- uh, confluence of, uh, of things that came together that ended up uh, being able to do that job. Mm-hmm. And were you a fan of the show? I mean, most people were, but some people weren't aware of it. Were you a fan of the show at the time, or did you have to kind of watch episodes and kind of learn it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'd seen it. You know, yeah. it was a pretty popular show. Right. And uh, it was very funny. You know, it was kind of a groundbreaking series at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, 
somebody else. Yeah, I, I had watched it, so I was very familiar with the show. Interestingly enough, the, the uh, likenesses of the actors, um, they were... Columbia Pictures was, you know, uh, the, where they licensed it from, mm-hmm. and they had uh, the right to, you know, review the art and stuff. So they seemed to uh, be a lot more um, accepting of caricatures of Ed O'Neill and uh, uh, whatever the guy's name who played Bun, Bud, Bud Bundy was, uh, the, the, the boy. Right. Uh, than they were the ladies. Um, huh. Christina Applegate and Katie Seagal caricatures, they were constantly telling me I had to make Katie Seagal's nose smaller and all this stuff. So I ended up uh, really just doing sort of half-assed cartoon versions of those two <laughs> and uh, and doing a little bit more of a real caricature of the, of the guys in the show. So, but, you know, whatever. It is what it is. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, during the time of doing it, did you ever meet the cast or anything like that, or are you just kind of separate in your own world doing these things? Yeah, I did meet Ed O'Neill, uh, but not. it was just sort of a happenstance thing. He was promoting the syndication of the show, and he had an appearance at the Minnesota State Fair. <laughs> and uh, I found out he was going to be there, and I was like, I should go meet him. So uh, we went out there, and it was just a fan thing, and it was he was there um, signing autographs. And uh, I, I brought a couple copies of the comic with me. I was hoping I could get him to sign them for me and one of his handlers saw me holding the comics and he said oh uh there's a guy on that works on the show that brings these in every time they're published everybody loves them and i said well i'm the artist and he goes really <laughs> oh well hang, hang back and i'll have you meet ed uh afterwards so I actually met him you know uh in the backstage area or whatever and uh i got him to sign those things for me he was really he was really nice but uh uh, it was very surreal meeting somebody that I had drawn like that much in right. the comics and actually meeting him in person. Uh, it was really, I mean, I was just, I kind of stared at his face a lot. I'm sure he was very uncomfortable for him. I kept, I kept kind of looking at him kind of sideways. I go, oh, okay. Did he, I didn't, okay. Did he yeah, critique your work? It's like you. <laughs> he, he told me that, that they all loved the, the fact that they were in comics. Okay. <laughs> He, he was nothing but complimentary about the about the. You drew uh, me with too big a nose. <laughs> yeah, no, he had no problem with that. He had no problem with that. I didn't realize how big that guy is. Like he he's a big dude, like a football player big. Oh wow. Uh, yeah. yeah I've never he, met any of the cast of that show. Yeah, <laughs> he was just a, a lot bigger than I thought he was. Uh, Katie Seagal's a pretty tall lady too, I guess, because yeah. of course she wears like ten inch heels on that show too. <laughs> right. so, and her hair is another ten inches tall, so she she makes him look small. <laughs> but he was probably about I I think he was probably like six three six four, and oh, I bet wow. he went too. I bet he went two fifty or something. He was he was a big dude. Mm. That was that shocked me. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Right. And I assume just on the same vein of meeting celebrities, you've probably met many celebrities over the years since you've you know done the characters for Cracked and Mad and things like that, right? Hardly any. Really? Oh. Yeah. Huh. I very very seldom do I end up meeting anybody that I have actually drawn in huh. a magazine. I sometimes hear from them. Okay. You know, and uh, especially like the, the the creators of shows and movies, like producers or writers or people like that, mm-hmm. uh, they tend to be a lot more 
enthusiastic about having got you know had whatever they created been spoofed and mad than like the actors are right um but um yeah like i've got a lot of um splash pages hanging in my studio that were signed by the cast of the show or the cast of the movie but mostly because one of the producers was a huge mad fan and <laughs> and uh called me and wanted to buy the art or whatever and i would say well if i send a, a oversized print of the splash can i get some signatures on it so oh, cool. and then i would yeah i would get them back in the mail and so i've got the whole i've got my splash page from the the uh um tv show lost mm-hmm. uh signed by the whole cast jj abrams is a huge mad fan mm. and chuck Lorre is a huge mad fan anytime we do a an Abrams movie or a TV show or a Chuck Lorre movie or a Chuck Lorre TV show, right. he buys all the artwork. They buy all the art. <laughs> oh, wow. Get, yeah, really, really think it's cool. So um, I've got the Big ba- Big Bang Theory splash page signed by everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, two and a Half Men. That's another Chuck Lorre show. I guess I must have seen one of these on your website or something. That's probably why I thought you were meeting these people. I didn't realize it was done through the mails in such a way. So <laughs> Mostly. I did meet a couple of the people from Lost uh, because um, they were at a Comic-Con uh, in San Diego, and I brought this print with me, um, and I got uh, I kind of got through the back door on that one because I... I and mentioned to JJ that I was going to be there, and he's he's like, oh well, just just go up and talk to. He gave me the name of somebody who is, um, you know, one of their handlers, and said, tell him that you that you uh, want to get this signed by some of the cast. And uh, um, so I went up, and so I met uh, uh, the guy who played Sawyer, mm-hmm. um, Maggie Grace, and uh, a couple of the writers, Damon Lindenhoff, mm-hmm. uh, signed it. I met him too and uh they ended up he ended up actually having me uh print out a ton of those splash pages and send to him because he gave them to all the cast members (laughs) which was kind of (laughs) cool um i guess i'll jump ahead because i know this is kind of related and uh when i interviewed bill morrison a few weeks ago uh he touched upon it as one of the last projects he worked on uh when he was at mad uh you worked on uh the tv guide and the mad covers among other things for uh quentin tarantino's once upon a time in hollywood Uh, how did that come about or what's your recollection about it he told me his side of the story but he said uh this is bill he said tom has more of the story on this and i go okay (laughs) yeah well it it actually all happened uh outside of mad Mm -hmm. uh bill and and mad got brought in later on it but what happened was um I got contacted by uh, a guy named Chris Call, who was the prop master for the movie. And he sent me an email, and he had been doing some web searches for um, an artist that he thought could reproduce a TV Guide cover that would look like a 60s TV Guide cover. He he, he was specific, and he was looking for somebody to basically do a Jack Davis job on it. And... um, and so he he said, "Would you be interested in doing that?" And I, and I you know, I was like, "Of course, <laughs> I'm a huge Tarantino fan." Mm-hmm. And so he explained, "Well, the the whole concept here is this is going to be a prop that's going to be hanging in uh, this character's house in a scene, and uh, 
course of it is we're supposed to be showing how famous the show was uh, years earlier. So we need a 60s era TV guy cover to show that. And I said, uh, yeah, I'd love to do that. It'd be great. Um, I said, you know, I, I'm an artist for Mad Magazine. He goes, oh, yeah, I did read that. He says, that's really cool. And I said, yeah, you should have a Mad Magazine cover from the 60s <laughs> if it was that popular a show. And he was like, yeah, we should have a Mad Magazine cover. <laughs> so uh, he pitched that to uh, Quentin, who flipped out because he was a really big Mad fan from way back. And uh, so that's we ended up having to bring Mad in because, of course, uh, they have to, you know, get the rights to show the logo and all that kind right. of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it actually got sort of half art directed by Mad and half art directed by Tarantino. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, I remember Bill telling me that he almost nixed it. Yeah. <laughs> he said that. Yeah. He, he said, uh, it, you know, he was kind of disinterested. Maybe he, had, he was saying by his own admission he had a lot of stuff going on around that time and it was just not a high priority for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm glad he didn't because yeah. uh, it ended up being a lot of fun and it actually got a lot of, like, a pretty good shot in the movie, the Mad cover. Yeah. Uh, the TV Guide covers just got, like, a blip, you know, just a second. Uh, right, right. But there's, like, two or three seconds where... Oh, I'm sorry, man. Two or three seconds where it... Uh... Call from... <laughs> Sorry about that. I, I forgot to turn off my phone. <laughs> I'll have to edit this out. Uh -huh. That's okay. <laughs> um, just threw it out the door so I won't do that again. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, we ended up you know, doing both covers, and they got a lot of screen time, or at least the Mad cover did, which was really cool. And uh, I got to deliver the originals to the set and meet Tarantino. Oh, cool which was really cool. Uh, I didn't meet any of the other actors because at the time they were filming some out exterior shots of like cars coming down the Hollywood Hills or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was all outdoor, uh, late night sort of thing. And um, But I got to meet and I gave the uh, art to Tarantino. He, the originals were part of the deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, we chatted about Mad and how big of a fan he was and how uh, cool he was how, how excited he was when Pulp Fiction got parodied in the magazine <laughs> and uh, yeah but he, he was great and we talked a lot about Jack Davis he was a huge Jack Davis uh, nut and uh, and I definitely channel Jack in the artwork right. like you know my own my own style has got some Jack Davis, you know, flavor to it, maybe, but uh, and you know, some of the more class, some of the other classic mad artists. And, but it's, uh, I, you know, it's not. Uh, I definitely did more of a homage yeah. to Jack. Uh, I could definitely tell the difference. You know, at yeah. first glance, you just go, "Wow, Jack Davis did a cover that I never saw before." <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> yeah, I actually knew I just, because I know your artwork, but you know, it's like I was like. Impressed that it got in the film. Now, did, did they give you photo references of like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and things like that, so you could work with it, or did you just use your own photo references? No, they sent me um, a bunch of stills from the movie. Uh, they did like promotion. They must have had a promotional photo shoot or something um, where he was in costume and uh, he was on a horse and he was doing all this stuff and. Picking 
pictures of him just standing there as Jake Cahill and uh, and uh, yeah so interest you know I, I, not very involved with the movie business but you can tell how paranoid uh, uh, filmmakers are about things getting leaked because right. every single one of those photos had my name superimposed <laughs> across it in a huge diagonal wow and, yeah so you know all the reference I was working on had my name over top of uh, DiCaprio's face, but uh, uh, just so that I couldn't post it yeah. online. But yeah, it was it was a really fun, interesting job. I was I was shocked at how involved uh, Tarantino was personally on this stuff. I mean, he like wrote, described exactly what he wanted mm-hmm. on each each magazine cover, and uh, you know, he was approving the artwork and. I mean, you'd think that uh, something that was just going to hang on the wall, in the right. of, uh, right. you know, it w- w- for one second and one scene would it would not take up that much of his time and energy, but right. it's amazing. Yeah, you, you uh, never know what uh, movie directors will do, like, uh, uh, you know, Titanic by James Cameron. Uh, he was so thorough that every plate that ultimately got destroyed in the film had to have a little white star or blue star on it, you know, whatever, that was uh, the actual logo, uh, you know, to make it authentic looking. And it's like, geez, these plates are getting broken and are only on there for a split second. But, you know, they like the details, so... <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, he's, you know, obsessed with details and, and the period and everything, yeah. and it was... Uh, you know, this, there's no detail too small for, mm-hmm. uh, to get accurate with uh, with his period type pieces. So, yeah, it was it was that was a very cool, very fun mm-hmm. job. Now, I read you did, or uh, wasn't there like a second Mad cover? It was like an insert for the the 4K edition of the uh, DVD, as it were. Yeah, there's a there's actually like a whole other part to that story because okay. when I was visiting the set and talking to uh, Tarantino, he said, you know, what would be really cool is if Mad did a parody of Bounty Law, which is the fake TV show right. or the fictional TV show from the movie, uh, and and we could like tie it into the movie. And I was like, yeah, that would be really cool. You should pitch that to Mad. Well, they did pitch it to Mad, and we did that. So in Mad Number no. Nine, uh, which came out the same month that the movie came out, uh, we did a six-page parody of the TV show, and it was done in such a way that uh, they had sort of pretended that it had never been printed, but it was done back in the '60s. Right. So the whole first ten pages of this, or twelve pages of this issue of Mad. Uh, it looks like a 60s mad, like the, the old 60s table of contents mm-hmm. and, and the, the, the old uh, pasted up words. And, you know, they even did some, uh, Susie Hutchinson, the art director, and the production people put a uh, yellow kind of brown tint to the outside of the pages. Yeah. Like, you know, it's an old weathered issue. And, and they used the cover that was in the, uh, was in the movie. They used my cover for that that cover. Mm-hmm. So we we did this six page black and white parody, mm-hmm. uh, and then they contacted us uh, again later and said we'd like to do a little mini version of Mad with a completely new parody of the show for the special edition Blu-ray uh, package. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we did a whole nother parody of the show written by the same guy Andrew Sikanda. 
and I did all the art and I did a new cover and it's just this little five inch by seven inch uh, little mini mat that yeah. uh, that is in the that is in that package and um, yeah that was really cool too <laughs> a little bit different because we you know we're working on much smaller pages so it's only like one or two panels per page and a lot of two page spreads so I think it was 20, 22 or twenty four pages total of the little pages hmm. which ended up being about the same length as this a six page full parody. Um, but yeah, so I, I got to do a, I got to do it a second time. <laughs> wow, I didn't know it was that different. I knew the cover was different, so I, I, you know, I I'm still seeking it out. I'll probably have to order it online because I've not seen it in any stores. So yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's they only made a few of them. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I think uh, Mad sent me uh, like six co- six copies of the actual little booklet. Yeah, um, and. My kids all confiscated them. I've got four kids, so I've, I've only got two left. And yeah. I called Matt up and I said, "Hey, can I get a few more copies of that?" Because they're like, I "Wish we could give, we could, because we don't have any." Oh boy! <laughs> so it's like uh, it's tough to find, but <laughs> it was fun. I, I, it was really enjoyable to to duplicate the old uh, '60s style of uh, art. I kind of did a, I used a duo shade um, technique, but I did it digitally. Yeah. Um, the old-fashioned duo shade type thing, and uh, um, and that that parody you were kind of uh, emulating more more trucker than Jack Davis. So. Yeah, I definitely have some a lot more more like especially the hands, and uh, <laughs> I did I did like more more like hands than I would typically do, and um, because again they wanted this sort of '60s look, and I. I uh, did more. I did a lot more brush work actually with the inking than I usually do too. Mm-hmm. Which um, Moore doesn't use a brush, but his stuff looks brushy because he uses a big uh, nib. And um, so I, I tried to get that that look as close as I could. And the duotone shade type uh, shading really helped with that. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was, it's, it was pretty cool. Is it is it difficult to emulate somebody else's style? I know Bill Elder used to do it all the time in Mad way back when and uh, so it's not impossible but it, for you is it uh, hard to draw like Jack Davis even for one image? <laughs> no. It's pretty okay. easy. Okay. Yeah, I mean they're, they're, they have signature uh, elements. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got signature elements to their style and you just have to identify what those are and, and you know and use them so uh you know jack is a lot zanier than mort he does he has a lot longer uh figures and he's got those crazy feet that he draws on everybody and um mort's stuff is a lot more uh uh more realistic bend to it but he uses a lot of curly cues with his inking and, <laughs> and certain conventions that um uh, you know, and then you just like Mort's hands are very identifiable, mm-hmm. um, and so you know I just kept those elements kind of in place. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I, I've had to do that a number of times over my career is emulate because when I parody something, you know, if it's if it's a a, a comic or some kind of art, then sure. I have to I have to get that look. So in Mad, a couple of times I did some. Um, uh, family circus spoofs, or uh, one of them was the Honey Boo Boo Family Circus, right? And uh, another one was the Bush Family Circus, mm. um, or no, 
not the Bush family circus, the uh, Trump family circus. Yeah. And so these are, so I had to do the Bill Keene style, but do caricatures of the, of people, which was, that was quite interesting to try to meld those two worlds together. And, uh, and I'm real good friends with Jeff Keene, who does the family circus now, Bill's right. son. He's, yeah. been, he's been doing it for 20 years. And, uh, so I called Jeff up and I said, hey, what kind of a brush do you use when you ink? <laughs> <laughs> and he says, uh, well, I use a number three. Why, why would you ask that? And I'm like, oh, no reason. Just, <laughs> just was kind of curious. <laughs> and then I, I didn't tell him what, you know, that this was coming out. And then when the issue came out, I sent him the copy with uh, all the original art. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was pretty funny. So, yeah, I mean, you know, and I've done these kids books, too, that Matt did for a while. True, we did true. three different kids book parodies that were... Um, kind of one of them the, the Goodnight Batcave book didn't emulate uh, uh, the art from uh, Goodnight Moon because that would have been I couldn't have done Batman in that style yeah. <laughs> uh, but we emulated like the color schemes and yeah. the layouts and that type of thing but uh, the Penguin book the Don't Let the Penguin Drive the Batmobile yeah. that's Mo Willems style art yeah. so yeah. I had to look at his stuff and figure out what makes it tick and Ray Cruz's uh, art style from the Alexander and the Horrible Rotten No Good Really Bad Day book right uh, that we did Superman and the Miserable Rotten No Fun Really Bad Day. Right. <laughs> uh, that's that's super intricate cross hatching and kind of the weird character designs and everything. So, um, it's not my favorite thing in the world to do is is do that. But when you're trying to do a, a successful parody of right. <laughs> a, car, a comic or a cartoon or an art style, that's important. Um, you know who another person who was really good about at that was Bob Clark. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. He did a lot of that. Anytime Mad had to do like a you know comic strip spoofs or whatever, Bob would do it, and he could nail those styles just effortlessly. Yeah. Um, yeah he was also but, good at drawing like packaging, you know, like an Ajax can <laughs> or something, which seems like how boring, but it's like it, <laughs> it, it, it was good because it was good that you had some guy at Mad like that. You couldn't have say Don Martin drawing a can like that or something. <laughs> yeah, and even even guys like like Jack Davis, you know, his style was just uh, too identifiable, and he he did what he did, and uh, guys like. Um, Bob Clark were, were like chameleons that were, they had their own style, but they were able to do other people's styles too. And, and you had to do that. If you're going to do a, an ad parody, it had to look like the ad you were spoofing. Otherwise, it didn't work. Yeah. So um, that, and I sort of inherited that, uh, that uh, thing from Mad. I ended up becoming the guy who did a lot of that stuff. <laughs> um, so, I've asked this before, you told the story before, but it's still a fun story. Um, prior to MAD, you worked at Cracked, and, uh, you know, tell us how you got the job at Cracked, but then the the story I always like to hear, because it's a good story, is just how you got the job at MAD after working for Cracked for about a year or so. <laughs> yeah, well, I started at Cracked right at the time that American Media uh, bought it, you know, bought it through mm-hmm. osmosis, and... Um, You've, you told that story in your books, uh, uh, you know, quite well. But uh, and the short version is that American Media, uh, which owned the Weekly World News, bought uh, the company that owned the National Enquirer, which also owned Cracked. And 
the American media people didn't think they wanted to continue to publish Cracked. It wasn't really making any money. And uh, so um, there was a, a, an art director, an editor there named Dick Culpa, who was a cartoonist, who said, I'll save Crack Magazine. <laughs> and uh, so he took it over. Well, of course, the first thing they did was cut the page rate to zero. <laughs> Not quite zero, but pretty close to zero. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all the, like, John Severin and Wally Brogan and Art Bollinger and all these guys that were mainstays that cracked were like, we're not working for this. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they lost all their artists. So he had a call out for artists willing to do work for dirt cheap and you know mainly just to get your your artwork out there, mm-hmm. which is a terrible thing. But you know at the time I was um, so this was probably what 1999 or 2000 roughly. Um, and I was, you know, had just got done doing the Married with Children and, and, and other comic book work. And I was looking for, for something that was a little bit more caricature-y and in that style. And so, um, I just, you know, I sent them some stuff and, uh, um, ended up doing four parodies for them over the course of four issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's cracked had its problems and all this type of thing, but yeah. It was fun. I mean, I got to do uh, a couple of movies. I wrote. I actually wrote and drew the Godzilla parody. That was my first parody, the Matthew Broderick Godzilla. I wrote and drew that. My uh, wrote it myself, and I had done it to show Sam Viviano, the newly art minted art director at Mad, some work. So I wrote and drew my own parody and showed it to him, and he was. He was like, oh, well, you know, it's pretty good. I, I like some stuff about your work. You need to keep growing. And uh, what I later learned was that uh, he thought my work was a lot, it was too much like Mort's, mm. Mort Drucker's. I was emulating his style too much. And Mad was was famous for not hiring people who looked, you know, who were too close to the style of some of their more famous artists so right. if, you, if you if your stuff looked like Jack Davis's like there were a lot of Jack Davis ripoff artists out there mad would not uh, you know give you any work yeah um, so he said look your stuff isn't exactly like Mort's at all you're not a ripoff artist but you, it's too heavily influenced by him and you really need to well um, at the time were they really hiring at that time yet or no well they it was it was a transitional period for Matt at that time because they were at that point looking to switch to color, mm. and that was presenting problems because Mort did not want to work in color. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't want to color his parodies, and he refused to allow anybody to color his parodies. Mm. So they were like, "Well, wait a minute, you know, we can't. If we're going to switch to a color magazine, we can't have you know." Uh, keep going with black and white movie parodies and those those have got to be in color so anyway but uh, I showed that Godzilla piece to to Sam and um, he's you know gave me some pointers but basically said keep sending me stuff and then I found out about this call from Crack Magazine for new artists and I sent the stuff to Crack well they immediately published it it was like a two two year old movie but (laughs) <laughs> I didn't care, so I had to finish it. I didn't. I didn't have the last page done, so I, I rewrote the last page and drew the, and finished it and sent it to them. And uh, they published it in I can't remember what issue number it was. Yeah. And uh, then they said, "Well, let's do another one." So I wrote a Sopranos parody that was really big at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, a buddy of mine helped punch up the gags, and so he was a co-writer. And uh, 
published that one. And then I worked with Barry Dutter, the writer on um, a parody of the X-Men, the first X-Men movie, mm -hmm. and uh, Gladiator, which was the last movie I did for them. And uh, Barry was great. You know, I was doing like everything. I was doing the word balloons, the paste up, the <laughs> layouts. <Wow. laughs> uh, and I was sending camera ready art to, to craft. Mm -hmm. And anyway, they had a color section of the magazine, um, a couple of pages in the middle that were color, and the X Men parody I did in color. And then I was supposed to do the Gladiator parody in color, and I did this crate at the time was like a really crazy splash page for me. It was a big gladiator scene with, you know, in the arena and there are tigers all over the place. And, you know, all the characters are in it and there's all this action going on and it took me forever to draw and it took and I took me forever to color. And I had finished just was finished coloring it when I got a call from Barry and they said, uh yeah, um, we're bumping it from the color section, and it's just going to be in black and white. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and I was pretty mad because I probably spent maybe a whole day coloring that thing, mm. maybe longer. I mean, it was it was a big, meticulous scene. And uh, I said, well, what are you replacing it with? And they said, oh, uh, uh, Dick really wants to do this movie, thinks it's going to be really big, Battlefield Earth. <laughs> I remember that now. That <laughs> yeah, and I was like, okay. So I was really mad at uh, at everybody at Cracked, and I was kind of fed up with them anyway. So that Gladiator parody had come out, and um, right at exactly at that time was the Rubin Awards, NCS Rubin Awards, and this time it was in New York, and I had just become a member the year before. So I went there, and uh, they had a big mad panel, and Sam was there, and Nick Beglin, and I showed him the Gladiator parody. And I had been sending my stuff to Sam every time I get done doing a parody for Cracked, I'd send it to Sam, and he'd get back to me and say, yeah, things are looking good. Well, I finally showed him this, uh, this Gladiator parody, and he and Nick uh, took me uh, took me aside and said, "Well, this is exactly what we wanted to see. You've really your work has really progressed, and you know it's, you're, you've got your own voice now. And uh, I think we'd love to have you work for Mad, but uh, there's a problem that like you can't have a byline in Mad Magazine and Crack Magazine at the same time." And I said, "Yeah, that's okay. That's no problem. I don't work for Crack anymore." And they were like, "When did that happen?" And I said, three seconds ago." <laughs> <laughs> That's the story I love. <laughs> yeah. and, and, they, and Sam says, "Oh, wait a minute now. I can't promise you when I'm going to be able to give you any work. It might not be for a year." And I said, "That's okay. You know, I didn't tell them the story about how they bumped me from the color section and wasted all my time, <laughs> but uh, or the fact that I was getting paid hardly anything to do that stuff. Uh, I just had I had." I was done with crack the either way at yeah, that point, yeah. so that it, you know it just was what it was. And, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I didn't have to wait too long. It was only like another month later that Sam called me and had me do a piece. So, mm -hmm. do you remember what the first spring. piece was for Mad? Yeah, it actually, um, what they used to do at that time, uh, because Mad was still pretty intact. Uh, yeah, you know, at the end of the nineties, yeah. um, Mort was still going strong. Al, uh, Angela Torres was still going strong. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, 
course, Sergio's still there and Al Jaffe's still there, but they still had a lot of artists there that, yeah. that were are either gone now or whatever. Dave Berg was still doing his thing. Yeah. It was still mad. It was still black and white. Right. And uh, uh, they had me do what they would do with new people, especially new writers and artists, is they would they would do what they called uh, not really a test piece, but they do what they called an evergreen piece. Yeah. So it was something that didn't necessarily need to be published anytime soon because whatever the subject matter was was evergreen you right. know and this one was uh, something about cable tv it was called mad's uh cable tv betting odds <laughs> and it was little uh gags about uh the different cable networks like lifetime and mtv and that sort of thing uh and uh, so it was like a three-pager and uh sam said well We'll give it to you, and it was sort of like a trial piece. Mm-hmm. So if you did it and uh, they liked what you did, you'd get another piece, you know, down the road. But mm-hmm. if if they didn't like it or it just didn't turn out, they could bump it, and uh, you still got paid. You got paid on delivery at Mad, not on publication. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is what happened with this piece. I did it. It was, was June of 2000, I think, and Sam said it was supposed to be in the next issue. And I got it done and turned it in. He says, well, we do like it. He says, we like it. We think it turned out great. But we're bumping it from this issue because uh, there's a timelier piece that we'd like to put in. But don't worry. This will see print. We just don't know when. <laughs> and I'm like, we'll call you for another job soon. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, then they didn't call me and they didn't call me. And mm. July went by and they didn't call me. And August was going by and they didn't call me. And I thought, shoot, I blew it. I had my chance wow. to get to do it for MAD. And they must not have liked what I sent in or, or something. So uh, then I got a call from them, though, in August, and they were doing some website stuff, and they had me do a couple of emergency pieces for their website. And then I got another job for print, and this one ended up uh, in the next issue, and that was issue 399. It was the very last full black-and-white old paper stock issue. Wow. Three ninety nine, and uh, the piece was called "How to Make Your Home Theater Look More Like Going to the Movies," uh, and it was written by Dick DiBartolo, and it was a two-page uh, spread. And um, that was my first published piece in that. That other piece I did ended up uh, in an issue the next year, like five or six issues later. So it did see print, but it was I was like almost a year later. I thought you were going to say twenty-one years later. It's still not printed. <laughs> No, but I got paid. I done, yeah, and I had done several other pieces for him by then, you know, including mm-hmm. uh, a movie and a TV parody. So, mm-hmm. what was uh, your first movie or TV parody then? What do you remember? My yeah, my first uh, parody was a TV show, and it was uh, Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, okay. And then the next issue, I did a movie parody. That was my first movie parody, and that was the movie Traffic mm. uh, with Michael Douglas and. Uh, uh, Benicio del Toro and Don Cheadle. Hmm. Um, yeah, so um, I started doing TV and movie parodies almost right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just a couple of issues that I did some like spot stuff and everything, and then uh, started in with the parodies, and and eventually that's almost all I did for a long time. Every mm-hmm. once in a while, I do another, a different piece, but it was you know more like I said. Mort didn't want to color his stuff and he wouldn't let anybody color his work hmm. 
so they were kind of stuck. Anytime they wanted to do a, more to do a parody, it had to be black and white, and the magazine's in color now. So they had me doing my own color work, and Herman Mejia was doing his own color work. Uh, Angelo Torres was still doing parodies, but they had a color company color his stuff. He didn't mind that, but Mort refused to let him do it. Hmm. Um, in fact, there was one parody. Mort did a parody of the TV show 24, Mm-hmm. And Matt finally convinced him. I heard this story secondhand, of course, uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing it. But this, my understanding was, Matt convinced Mort to let them try to color one of his pieces. And if if he did like it, they wouldn't run it in color. They'd run it in black and white. And uh, this this was the piece, 24. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they ran it, or uh, they showed him the color stuff. Mort said, no. Nope. You're not running this in color. So they said, okay. So they switched it to grayscale, <laughs> which doesn't exactly work, you know, very well. Um, and they showed him the grayscale version, and this time it was really close to press time. And he said, uh, you're not running it in gray like that either. Uh, <laughs> and I don't have time to do my washes and all that stuff on top of it right now. So they ran it with the grayscale uh, but with a uh, alias, so it's very clearly Mort Drucker's work. But the artist credited is named Bob Julian. Oh wow! I'll have to go back and, and look at that, these. <laughs> yeah, and I don't remember what issue number it was, but it's whatever it was the TV show Twenty Four with yeah. Kiefer Sutherland. And uh, yeah, it's I mean it's you can't mistake Mort's work, <laughs> but it's credited to Bob Julian, and the grayscale stuff does look pretty lousy. I mm. think. Now, um, I could have gone to Doug Guilford's Mad site, which I'm sure you reference yourself, but I figured I'd ask you on first appearances and things. Uh, does he talk about this on his uh, page, or do you know that Julian got credit for Drucker's work? Uh, I don't know if he does on the on his credits for that. I know it's credited to Bob Julian. Yeah, um, I'll have to check that but out. But I, anyway. I don't know if he has the story about that mm-hmm. on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure that's, you know story is even supposed to be out there. <laughs> I guess it is now. <laughs> <laughs> the scoop is here. Um, yeah. I don't think it's that harmful. I mean, uh, uh, well, you know, since you're talking about Drucker, I mean, I thought I saw some color ones later. Did he finally acquiesce to it, or did they just say, uh, sorry, Mort, we're colorizing it no matter what? No. None, none of Mort's parodies were ever colorized. Oh, really? And, okay. and in, in fact, you don't, you won't see any of his work colorized in any of the reprints either. Hmm. Um, I think he had an agreement of some kind with uh, hmm. with uh, Mad that they would not colorize his work. Interesting. Um, I don't know that for sure, but okay. that's, that was what I was told. And of course, Mort did his own color work. He did many color. Right. Covers. But also, you did color comic books in the past, you know, Abbott and Costello, and I think he did Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis and a few others, and it's like, why was he so adverse to black and white? I mean, to color. Was it just because he was traditional and it's like mad as black and white? I don't like this color nonsense. I, got, I don't know the answer to that. Hmm. You'd have okay. to ask more. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, clearly he did, you know, comic book work. He did, he was deep, uh, DC Comics bullpen guy for like a long time where he fixed and did all sorts of artwork and war comics and right. yeah the Bob Hope stuff and um, that obviously got colored yeah. but uh, I don't know 
Interesting. Which is something that he didn't like to have done. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> interesting. So, um, did he make it any? Is, you know, it's, it's like when you read this stuff. See, like as a fan, you know, it's like you know, as I saw it, you you just kind of were at Cracked for a bit, and then suddenly you're at Mad, and I, and actually I was very happy about that because I thought Cracked was going away anyway. So it's like at least you found a place to land. It didn't seem like there was a gap or anything like that, and then it seemed like you immediately took over for Drucker, but it wasn't really the case. Um, no, he yeah. he drew. He was still drawing parodies into the mid two thousands. Like yeah, I can't remember what his last ones were. I know he did the movie Three Hundred. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I guess you know I'm not sure why he stepped away really from doing it uh, in Mad. I, I don't know whether he just got you know he just decided to sort of not work as hard because these are a lot of work, man. Let me tell you, one of those parodies mm-hmm. that's a ton of work. Um, or he had other things going, or you know maybe when Nick Meglin left. Yeah, that might have been that might have had something to do with it. That's another question for Mort. Right. Um, or age. I mean, he's he's in his nineties now, so I know. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, certainly now, yeah. you know. But this, but he was still, you know, doing work. Uh, he was doing ad work and and um, other kinds of work back then. And yeah, I don't know. I know Jack Davis stopped working for Mad because he thought the magazine was getting too racy. Yeah, and he told uh, me that. He said, "If if my if my grandkids can't read it, then I don't want to be in it." Yeah, is well, what he told me the story I know, and I, it seems true. I didn't hear it directly from Jack Davis. Is that the last straw for him? Uh, although he appeared a couple times afterwards, but the last straw for him was when he had to do the Howard Stern cover, where Alfred's plunging him out of the toilet, <laughs> oh. and he thought that was in poor taste, but he did the cover anyway. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's that sounds right. Um, Jack was an old-fashioned Southern gentleman, and I guess it's funny that he would have a problem with that and not have a problem drawing people being beheaded and, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, all the gruesome stuff he did for EC back in the day. Right. Uh, but he might have, just... both of them might have been coming up with excuses just to, to retire just kind of gracefully or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, do you ever talk to Mort or anything nowadays, or did you talk to him even when you were working with him? Yeah, Mort, Mort was one of the biggest reasons I got into MAD. Uh, he sponsored me for membership in the Cartoonist Society, oh, cool. and he encouraged me to send my work to MAD. And um, he, uh, uh, met, I, you know, I've met him many times. And when I was president of the of the Cartoonist Society, I uh, we created a new award called the Medal of Honor, which was uh, something that was, was sort of like a Lifetime Achievement Award, uh, but we already had a Lifetime Achievement Award, the Milton Kniff Award, but that award was specifically for people that had not won a Rubin. Hmm. So it was sort of a de facto way to honor a cartoonist who just had never won the Rubin Award uh, during their... Uh, you know their main careers and of course the Rubin Award is supposed to be uh, to honor somebody for the work that they uh, you know they had done that year mm-hmm. like cartoonist of the year and uh, uh, but it, it's you know sort of become a bit of a lifetime achievement award because they gave it to Will Eisner well after Will Eisner was you right. know, long past doing the spirit and everything right um, but uh 
and I felt like, wow, we really should have a, a lifetime achievement award uh, for people that have won the Rubin. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, it seems silly that they, you, you can't have be honored with the Milton Kniff Award because you've already won an award that was supposed to be just for one year's worth of work. Right. And uh, so the Medal of Honor was what we came up with, and um, Mort was the first recipient of it. Very cool. Uh, and yeah, and that was in DC in 2015, my last year as president. And that was very special for me because uh, here's a guy that, you know, inspired me and was a huge part of the reason I do what I do. And I was able to, to help give him a real big honor that he, he deserved greatly. So um, I haven't talked to him in a while. Uh, but, you know, we sort of keep in touch here and there. Mm hmm. Well, it's good there's like uh, camaraderie there among caricaturists and stuff like that. You know, you always wonder if, you know, of course this isn't the case if Mort had any sort of bad feelings. What's this young upstart doing or something? You know, <laughs> it sounds like nothing of the sort. So, you know. No, I I never got that sense from him or or Angelo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those guys were. Uh, mainstays for decades and decades and decades with Matt and uh, Matt switched to color and you know it was not that wasn't something that they had any control over and mm-hmm. um, you know that's part of the part basically the reason I got in was because I did my own color work and I was able to do those parodies in color mm-hmm. and uh, um, you know so I suppose uh it depends on what happens with Matt. I'll probably have to put up with some young whippersnapper coming in and stealing all my work. <laughs> now, since you brought it up, and I said before we talked, before we started, I was going to ask about. Um, obviously, Matt moved from New York to L.A., and then they started over as number one. We had Bill Morrison, which I recently interviewed, uh, was editor for about the first nine or ten issues, and uh, then unfortunately got dismissed i'll put it that way and uh now it's a basically a reprint title even though they proudly say 21 (laughs) percent new material and i noticed in the most recent issue number 12 you do have some something in there but it's not like a tv or movie parody so you're still doing work for them correct yeah um i just finished a piece for issue number 13 so i'll have something in there too now, now, how is it working today? I mean, is it like one issue at a time? Like, you don't know if you're going to have a job the next issue or what? That's... Yeah, but it's always been like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, the, unless you do like Spy versus Spy, mm-hmm. you know, or a Mad Look at, mm-hmm. if you're if you're my type of of artist for them, where they assign you something that a writer has written, you never know what you're going to do mm. uh, for the next issue. So. I mean, for the longest time, I did a movie or a TV parody in every issue, mm-hmm. but uh, I had no idea what it was going to be or, you know, and then some issues I did something different. You know, I and then actually ha- have a pretty good streak going. I think I'm in uh, like 63 issues in a row mm. uh, with this last issue, um, starting at like about 495 or something like mm. that. But... Uh, yeah, there were there were times where I didn't get a job mm-hmm. in the next issue. So it's always been like that. But now, uh, yeah, because it's mostly reprint stuff, right? They do about, they say, 20%, slightly over 20% new stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? I mean, uh, I, I did get a piece for the next issue, and it'll be in there. I don't know if I'll have a piece in number 14. Mm-hmm. 
and do they talk about i mean the the big, the big announcement was about a year ago in july so you know that uh-huh. it leaked out that you know oh mad's ending you know and they acted like it was all going to be all reprint and that they're going to just do enough issues to run out everyone's subscription and be done now that's when it first started i knew that wasn't really the case they can't let mad die completely like that it's too much of a a brand name but uh do you see if a longer future for mad or even coming back in a different way than it is now or is this what we got I think this is what we've got for the foreseeable future okay i mean you never say never but um you know the print business is uh you know having real problems mm-hmm. and the and it's it's been this way in comics for the longest time comic book companies don't make any money selling their comics you know that's almost like a loss leader they make all their money uh licensing the properties in the comics the ip so you know movies and tv shows and all that kind of thing Mm-hmm. Uh, and they only keep the comics going, I think, because they want to keep the IP fresh and, you know, the storylines going and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mad doesn't really have any IP. You know, there's no there's no room. Spy versus Spy, maybe. Yeah. Um, but that's it. And I Alfred, mean, most I of everything else <laughs> yeah. in there. Yeah, and Alfred. Everything else is like making fun of pop culture and you can't <laughs> license that. So uh, I think that you know what they eventually decided on doing is look the only way that Matt, the only income mad really makes is from actual sales of the magazine and it's too expensive to produce so we either have to stop producing it or we have to cut the expenses of producing it and they chose the latter mm-hmm. and all the work that's been done for mad well not all the work but very close to all the work that's ever been done for mad since the very beginning was all work for hire yeah so every piece that's been in mad with very few exceptions dc owns the copyrights to mm-hmm. and they can republish it ad nauseum with no further payments to the creators mm-hmm. so they've got almost 70 years worth of material that they can reprint for free right and uh so and you know let's face it mad's a nostalgic sort of a thing and most of the people that buy it and read it are fans of the you know have been longtime fans of the magazine right. so basically i think dc just decided well let's just give them what they want we'll just we'll just you know reprint old stuff and uh uh and have a little bit of new stuff in there to sort of justify it and you know see if we can keep uh the subscription levels where they're at um because actually mad sells not too bad mm-hmm. um it's in the 120,000 130,000 copies an issue that's uh, that's quite a bit that's a lot more than a lot of comic books yes so, <laughs> so you know uh if they can slash the the cost down to nothing i mean the the uh staff at mad is like a fraction of a fraction of what it used to be yeah there's like three people on staff now mm-hmm. uh and so those costs are you know cut way down and the cost of the actual content is way down and they drop newsstand distribution which was very expensive to do hmm. uh so it's all direct market stuff now and or subscription so they've streamlined it and uh i think as long as they keep it in the black uh i don't see why they'd stop mm-hmm. um 
the only way that they change it is if uh, you know people say we're not buying this anymore because it's there's not enough new stuff and then they'd have to rethink it but yeah. um, the only way I see mad coming back as a fully new content magazine is if DC licensed it out to another publisher to to, hmm. to publish it interesting <laughs> Wait, you know which is exactly what Marvel did. True. <laughs> um, I was wondering though, do, it, what about uh, like you know you mentioned like the uh, uh, the parody books you were doing, like the Superman one and the Good Night Batman mm-hmm. and things like that. Are those done or because those have a longer shelf life? Those type of things. Uh, so do you foresee any of those coming back in the future? Any new projects like that? Well, I think they're, you know, Matt's a very valuable brand, like what you said, and, and book collections and things like that are always uh, going to be viable for making money. Right. So I think I think you can probably expect to see that type of thing. Even with Mad now being 80% reprinted material, you're still going to see, you know, Mad about Star Wars True. or whatever. Well, I'm thinking uh, of, like, your book parodies that are all brand new material right. that never appeared in the magazine. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I know Goodnight. I I know Goodnight Batcave sold really well. Batcave, like that was the, yeah. Goodnight Batcave. That book uh, was very popular and it sold pretty well. The other two I don't think did as well. Mm-hmm. And we were uh, actually had another one that they were pitching um, called Where the Wonder Things Are. <laughs> That was going to be a parody of Where the Wild Things Are, but with Wonder Woman. Hmm. Uh, and I actually did a, a you know, a, a, like a two-page uh, spread for the pitch, mm-hmm. uh, and they passed, DC passed on it. They're hmm. like, nah, uh, I think we're done with these kids' book things, but who knows? Do you think it might, might come back since there's a new Wonder Woman film coming out in a few months? Maybe. Yeah. I think yeah. it would be, I, th- I thought it was a great idea. Yeah. Um, I liked uh, the little piece of art that I did for it was pretty fun. Yeah. Um, and uh, I didn't I didn't read the whole script because I just got that little snippet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought it it was good concept, and um, you know, I thought it was I thought they would go for it because not only was Wonder Woman really big at the time because that movie had just come out and and had been a huge hit, but. I mean, you know, it was, the whole girl empowerment thing was a big uh, movement at the time in comics. And, um, you know, this was just right in the wheelhouse for what was really popular at the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but I guess they didn't think the numbers worked or whatever. Who knows? And what do you think the likelihood is, like, you know, there's big hardback collections of, you know, Various mad stars, uh, Tom Richmond collection. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be well down the road. I, think. Uh, I can. I mean, I, I think you deserve one. I think it would be fine. You know, you already have, you know, a Drucker one, and there's a Davis one, and a Martin one, and you know, Aragonis, and a couple others. Uh, Jacobs even got one. You know, one of those hardback yeah. editions. But you know, I guess you don't make decisions on such things, so. No, I can I can think of a good solid dozen artists right off the top of my head uh, yeah, that would uh, deserve a book well before I do. That's for sure. But who knows? You never know. Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, I guess you know we've gone over an hour, so that's very good. Um, and I appreciate your time. Uh, sure. Is there anything you'd like to plug or promote at this time? 
Well, yeah, actually, since um, since Mad very uh, very specifically decided, or DC very spe- specifically decided that they were not going to do movie and TV parodies anymore uh, in Mad, that was something that I was flat out told that that's something yeah. that they're not going to do anymore as part of the new stuff. Uh, Des Devlin, um, the writer, longtime writer for Mad and I, are going to do a book of movie parodies. Oh, cool. Uh, we're going to do a Kickstarter of it, and it's going to, um, we're shooting for a uh, Kickstarter release date of the 1st of uh, April, April Fool's Day, fittingly. <laughs> um, and it's going to be a book full of movie and TV parodies, ones, or movie parodies, rather, ones that are new movies that are just coming out and also a few classic movies that never got the mad treatment cool so uh look for that to be announced probably in the next two or three weeks and uh hopefully we'll we'll make that happen because i think that's a genre that deserves to continue Mm -hmm. and are you making any other appearances i know you had to cancel a recent one that probably was happening today in seattle and i understand yeah yeah um, so, uh, barring anything current, is there any appearances, uh, like in the summer or fall of this year? Yeah, I'll be at San Diego Comic-Con, okay. um, there every year. Uh, just follow the crowd to where Sergio is, and I'll be at the table across <laughs> the hallway from him. Uh, and then, um, I'll be at, I'm supposed to be at WonderCon, uh, next month, but we'll see what happens with that one. Right. Um. And uh, I'm at New York Comic Con every year. I don't do a lot of shows. Mm. Uh, Comic cons are, you know, a lot of fun, but they're exhausting, and I spend, it takes me out of the studio for a long time, mm-hmm. and I always end up just really having to scramble to get caught up when I get back. And so I pick and choose my shows. But uh, so I'll be at a few, and if they reschedule Emerald City uh, for this summer, hopefully the dates will work, and I can actually do that one because it would that that's a good show and so yeah I'll be at a few this mm-hmm. summer and you can always just go to my website tomrichman.com I've got a little page that just lists where I'm going to be and what the dates are mm-hmm. and, you know, all that info and then other things you do like you do commissions and sell prints and things like that yeah. at the comic cons I do uh-huh. uh, I don't do very many commissions oh. uh, like through the mail okay um, because I'm just too busy with you know publication work even though Matt is you know a, a smaller part of that now I still do work for you know uh, I do a lot of work for Jeff Dunham the the comedian mm-hmm. uh, a lot of his product illustration and everything I've usually got one or two projects with him on the board I do work for other magazines I do stuff for advertising and you know freelancing all along the way so I usually stay stay busy but um uh, so at the shows is when I do, uh, you know, sketch covers and caricatures of people and, and uh, mad blank covers and that sort of thing. It's it's a lot of fun to do that. Mm-hmm. And I should have asked this earlier, but I you know, just escaped. How long does it take to do like the average movie or TV parody? Since you said it takes a while. <laughs> Uh, it takes about three days a page. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, because it, it takes me a, 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 a good day to pencil it out, and that includes all the research I have to do, hmm. you know, digging up references and all that other kind of stuff. And then, uh, you know, data, data ink it, data color it probably. Hmm. Um, I can do it a little faster than that if I have to. 
that's mostly a function of endurance as yeah. opposed to speed. Like, I can't speed up any faster than I work, so I just end up staying up all night oh, <laughs> to get them done. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, about three – so a six-page parody take about, you know, two weeks to 18 days to mm. do. So it's, it's very time-consuming. A so, lot of likenesses, a lot of, you know – so how how, how big is this right. how big is this Kickstarter book then if it has a bunch of parodies? Uh, we're we're starting it out with uh, a target of eight, uh, probably six to eight page parodies, and then we'll have stretch goals that'll probably bring it up to as many as a dozen. But wow. I think that's it because wow. uh, we're going to have a deadline, <laughs> you know. And, and that's uh, a lot of work. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I only have so long to be able to do it all. Uh, I mean, we've already started it. Um, uh, mm-hmm. the first the first parody is the rise of Skywalker cool. and uh, when we launch the Kickstarter we'll show the splash page for it and uh, which is all finished and uh, Des has already written it and we're already working on the second one so you know hopefully uh, things will um, will work out with the Kickstarter and we'll we'll, we'll make it happen alright very good well I thank you Tom for being my podcast guest and updating me on the world of MAD and everything else that you do. (laughs) My pleasure. All right, and uh, thank you very much. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Tom Richmond, for being my special guest. Episode number 71 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2020, Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night. of your loot.